0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Don't Ignore the Nudge. This is the place where you get to hear extraordinary stories of ordinary people and how God has nudged them to either do something or not do something in their life and what happened because of it. My name is Corey Freeman, and I just wanted to get these stories out there. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming to Don't Ignore the Nudge today. We've got a real special interview today. I mean, all of God's stories are special. Don't get me wrong. All the episodes are whopping 35 episodes we've done. <laughs> and my guest has done way more podcasts than I have and interviews. But today we have Chris Wark from Chris Beat Cancer. And if you're not familiar with him, he has quite a story. And his whole story a lot of this story is the nudge, the nudge that God gave him years ago. So I think we were just talking beforehand. And I think I have been following him since around the same time he started, which was 2010. And I don't want to say too much intro, because that will sort of spoil this nudge story. But so glad to have you here. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Corey. It's good to be with you. Thanks.
0: I just... If we were doing a medical, more of a cancer interview today about crispy cancer, I say it e- eloquently right there because I had one young person at one point say they thought I was saying crispy, crispy cancer. <laughs>
1: so, Not the first time I've heard that. <laughs>
0: really? I had never thought about it. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I actually own crispycancer.com. That don't do you really as well. for that
0: reason. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's funny.
1: It points back to my main site. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm glad then I'm glad I mentioned it. So on, on if it was on a more of a medical thing, man, I'd be having all kinds of questions for you. And it'd be a whole different interview. But today it's all about the nudge. But I always ask my guests what you would like to share about how you came to know the Lord and how that came about as far as how that happened.
1: Yeah, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were, uh, my mom is from New York, my dad's from Michigan and they moved to Tennessee. He got a job at a bank down here. And after moving down here, they both became believers. My mom first and then my dad. And so I was grew up in a Christian home and had an encounter with God at very early age. I mean, I just came to know him and believe in Jesus when I was seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. So that was where it started. But as a teenager, I was pretty rebellious and just kind of questioned everything and wanted to explore the world, what the world had to offer and really come to my own conclusions. And I saw things in the church that I didn't like because humans Mm -hmm. are flawed and... Hypocritical. Yeah. It's just human nature.
0: <laughs> yeah. Have you heard the saying that if you join the perfect church, you better leave because you just joined. Right. <laughs> People are human.
1: Right. And so I use those excuses, which are pretty flimsy, but I use those excuses to just sort of rebel and and so most of my teenage years and early college, I was not following the Lord and was just doing my own thing. And but I came to the realization that something was missing in my life. And I realized that was my relationship with God. And so, yeah, in my early 20s, about midway through college, I surrendered to the lordship of Jesus and just said, okay, here I am. I'll give up everything that I'm doing that I know is not glorifying you. And I I will obey. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point,
0: it was like, okay, God.
1: (laughs) My wife and I got really plugged in. We were dating at the time. We got really plugged into a church, a small non denominational church, and started serving there and going through discipleship, Bible studies, and serving on the worship team. I was a musician, so I was playing bass or drums, singing or whatever Sunday mornings, and just really plugged in. And it was a very, it was a a time of, I'd say, massive spiritual growth in my life. And then the cancer diagnosis happened when I was 26. And I'm so thankful because. Those years, it was about four, about four years between around 21, 22 up until 26. I had just really been discipled by some incredible godly men. And mm. it had prepared me for the storm that was for coming. Such
0: a time as this, <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: And so when I was diagnosed, the first verse, the Bible is so powerful. I mean, it's the living word of God. And when you study the bible and when you memorize scripture and you choose to believe it that's what faith is it's just choosing to believe and you take ownership of the promises of god in the bible then when the storms come you have a solid foundation so the very first verse that came to mind when i was diagnosed was romans 8:28 which says that god works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose and so I just thought, okay, this is a promise that God is going to work this for my good, all things for my good.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I know that I'm called according to his purpose. I know that he loves me and and he's my heavenly father. And so I chose to believe that he was going to work it for my good. Yeah, It wasn't good news. Like Cancer's bad news. (laughs) (laughs) It's bad news. It's an adversity in life. But We all have a choice as to how we respond to adversity and obstacles and trials and tribulations. We have a choice. We don't have a choice whether or not to be in them, but we have a choice of how we respond. And that's really where your faith is put to the test. When you're in a difficult circumstance, are you going to choose to believe that God is going to work it for your good, that he's going to deliver you, and he's going to see you through it and provide you the strength that you need to get through it and the resources and light your path? Or are you going to just sort of crumble in fear? and become just sort of reactive and irrational and hopeless and cowardly. Mm -hmm. So I just realized really quickly I needed to make a stand in faith and believe that he was going to work it for my good. So that was huge, hugely encouraging to me. Just that one little revelation. I don't know where this is going, but I can have peace in my heart. I can be at peace knowing that God's going to work it for my good. And then another scripture that I found pretty quickly in the process was Psalm 34, which the whole chapter is just so, so incredible if you're going through a difficult time in your life. Like, I mean, that was when David wrote it. It's obvious he was in a really bad place. And Psalm 34:19 says, the righteous may suffer many afflictions, but the Lord delivers them from them all. And so I was like, that's it. Like, this is my verse.
0: And the the operative word being all, right? All. (laughs) All.
1: All means all, and that's all all means.
0: (laughs) I know, Pastor likes to say the same thing.
1: I was going, so yeah, I was like, this is it. Okay, I'm suffering from an affliction, and the Lord delivers me. He's going to deliver me from this. So again, I chose to believe it, Mm -hmm. right? I wasn't hoping, I was choosing to believe. So that was the very beginning of my faith journey through cancer Mm -hmm. and then i started really deep diving into the word more because i still i don't want to present myself as a mr super faith because i wasn't but i was learning how to believe because my life had been pretty easy up until that point so it's not like i had real struggles or hard times Mm -hmm. i think that's the problem with so many people now is like when you grow up in a country an industrialized nation that has so much wealth even if you're the poorest in the United States, you're still in the top 1% of the world it's true. in income. Mm-hmm. And so when you grow up where there's food everywhere and it's not that hard to find shelter or grow up with a mom and dad and free education, you know all these things that we have, you're spoiled. Mm-hmm. You just don't really know what it's like to be in desperation and need. And so when you're not desperate, you don't really reach out and ask God for help.
0: I have a question on the, when you're talking about the does you know, like just the way when you, the way we grow up in the United States for the most part, most of us, when you were pulling away from your faith, and I will tell you, you're not the first person I've interviewed who, when they're talking about how they came to know the Lord, they went through that period, whether it's in high school or college, it's always seems to be in that area. Do you feel like when you were pulling away at that time and sort of getting a little bit more, I don't want to say critical, but more saying, well, the church, it was flawed and I'm going to pull back and whatever caused you to pull back. Do you think living in the United States where everything is a little bit easier and we're still in the top 1%, do you feel like that has anything to do with the youth pulling away? Because it is a phenomenon. I forgot how, what percentage it is, but it's a high percent of people that were raised in the church that pull away for a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of
0: adults out here listening probably right now that could use some of wisdom from you about, okay, I've got a child going through this at 16, 18 right now.
1: Well, I'm not going to say I'm dispensing wisdom. I'll let someone else decide. But <laughs> there's so many examples of this in the Bible. Like when you look at the Old Testament and the Israelites, every time they would prosper in the promised land, they would eventually over time sort of draw away from God. They would get away from God because things were good. Right when things are good and you just have all your needs met and you don't have hardship, you kind of feel like, "What do I need God for?" So that's, I mean, that's nothing has changed mm-hmm. in thousands of years, and that's the human nature is like when we're in trouble, we reach out and ask for help, and when things are good, it's easy to just kind of coast along, and feel like you don't need you don't need God, right. and so I'm certainly guilty of that, and I think we all are to some degree or another, and and. You find much stronger faith when you go to countries where people are in poverty, where they're living hand to mouth, Mm -hmm. and every day is a struggle to even make money or get food or water. You have a a much, much different level of faith in in people in countries like that.
0: And can you share real fast about your, I don't know if you call it a project or your support of the the water i think it's called is it called thirst
1: never thirst is an organization that drills clean water wells in the poorest countries in the world and the country that i pick to raise money for is cambodia cuz i've been there a couple times and we've raised money for them for i guess 5 years now every year around my birthday and we've raised over a million dollars oh my goodness over the course of the 5 years wow fundraisers and that's i'm not entirely sure of the total but i think a million dollars we supplies like 50,000 people with clean water oh through all these wells that they've drilled in remote villages and supplied water filters and put large water filtration and bathrooms in elementary schools and things like that. So, yeah, it's such a basic human need that we don't even realize like people don't even have running water and millions and millions of people don't have running water in the world. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just one of many examples of the ways that we're spoiled in westernized countries, in wealthy countries. And again, People think they don't need God when life is going good, but then they're still empty. So they still end up very unhappy, even Mm -hmm. though they have everything, right? They have food, shelter, clothing, family, friends, a job, some money, and they're still abusing alcohol and drugs and doing all kinds of destructive things because they're trying to fill that void of unhappiness. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to medicate this stress from things in their life and also just from the, the sort of the whole... It can only be filled by your relationship with your creator. I mean, that's, you know, and to anyone who's a skeptic that there is a God or whatever. I mean, my answer is, look, why don't you just try believing and see what happens? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I don't have to talk anybody into it. Like if your life isn't great or you think it could be better, why don't you just reach out humble yourself and reach out and say, okay, like, okay, God, if you're there, you got me my attention. I'm, choosing to believe so here i am like yeah. do your thing yeah and then just love, watch what happens
0: i love you know? the verse that talks about if you seek me i will let you find me yes. <laughs> so but it says He's with all of your seek heart and you'll
1: find knock and the door will be open like if you just start looking mm-hmm. you will find evidence like the, you will find the strongest evidence for you to believe it will become easy to believe
2: mm-hmm.
1: once you see god working in your life it just becomes like oh yeah, this is. This is real, right? and so I came to that conclusion again in my early 20s and then just got involved in the church and was just trying to be really live in a way that was honor God and would serve, follow Jesus and serve people, love people like Jesus would and be as good of a person as I could be with all my flaws. So during the cancer journey, I was really combing through scripture, trying to figure out, is it God's will for me to be sick? because that's the big question, right? Why do Christians get sick? Why do good people get sick? Is it God's will? Did God make them sick? And so, and there's, I've definitely heard a lot of different opinions, right? And I was really hoping the answer was not, yes, it's God's will for you to be sick. And so I started really studying scripture and and looking up every verse about sickness, about health, about disease, about healing. And there's a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. All the way through the Bible, you you can really, and I just was digging through trying to get a comprehensive understanding about health and, and disease and the part that we have to play in it and whether it's God's will. And what I kept finding over and over again is, sure, there were instances where God caused disease, mm-hmm. right? right? There are instances in the Bible where that it's very clear as punishment. But then there's always restoration. There's always restoration of health that's a promise of protection and restoration of health. And so I kept seeing that over and over again, which was encouraging. So on one hand, I'm like, I don't know if this is punishment or maybe it's just a result of my choices. I was studying health and nutrition. I learned very quickly that most cancers are caused by our diet and lifestyle mm-hmm. choices, right? right? And so that was incredibly empowering because I realized if I can radically change my life, I can help my body heal. Mm-hmm. I've got to stop living the way I was living. That and I just took full ownership of the fact that the way I was eating, the way I was thinking, my habits—they were a lot of them were negative and they're contributing to disease. Yeah. And so I just started systematically changing my life. Started with the diet. And then I started working through my mental and emotional state. Even my spiritual life, it got much better. I got much more clear. And so all that didn't happen overnight. It was just, it was me being determined to live and determined to improve my life and do everything in my power to help my body heal. And then what I kept finding in the scripture was when I studied Jesus and his life and ministry, all he did, right? He basically did two things. He was a teacher and he healed the sick. So over and over and over, everywhere he went, he was healing the sick. Every stop, (laughs) right? Every stop in his travels, he was healing sick people. And I'm like, Jesus is a healer, right? right? He's a healer. It's God's will to heal. He wants to heal. And the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Right. And if it's his will to heal, then if Jesus is truly who he claimed to be, which is the son of God and part of the Trinity, God in the flesh, if it's his will to heal the sick, then it's his will to heal the sick now. Mm -hmm. And that was just an incredible revelation to me. And so I believed it was his will to heal me, but I also took ownership in my life. It's kind of like you could sit back and just say, well, God's going to heal me and believe that and do nothing. Or you could believe God's going to heal me, but you know what, I'm going to do everything in my power to help myself too. Well,
0: and to interject real fast, I haven't really talked very much about it. I don't even know if I've really even said very much about it at all on the podcast yet, but my husband was recently diagnosed. Months before, months ago, I asked Chris to be on this podcast And after I asked him to be on the podcast, my husband got diagnosed with stage 3B colon cancer, which I think yours was 3C. So right there. And it's really interesting because you do go into like, why is this happening? And then it does help to have that ownership portion of it. And we can talk about that in a minute. But as far as it is diet, it is health, it is all those things. But the spiritual aspect of it is so huge so huge. And because over your shoulder right now where it says eat cancer daily, that where you bring in scripture and you don't. And one thing that we've come very well aware of is Satan does like to keep you in the what if, the fear, all of those things. So the fact that you're realizing at what 27, you said 27, you were diagnosed. I
1: was 26. Yeah,
0: 26. So you're almost my son's right in between my sons. But at 26, that you were already getting prepared for this, and that God would have you so what I call locked and loaded, that you would go ahead and know that the spirit he was preparing you spiritually for this. I mean, that's huge.
1: He was. And it's, I can look back and see all the ways that God had orchestrated my life, leading me up to that point and preparing me for that, for that moment and for that season. And uh, it didn't, doesn't mean it wasn't scary because it was like it was terrifying. And every day I had to deal with fear and I had to learn how to deal with fear, which I'd never done before. I'd never lived in fear,
0: mm-hmm.
1: never had anything to be afraid of. And so I had learned how to quickly give my fear to God and say, I trust you, I'm not going to be afraid.
0: Right. And that's easier said than done.
1: Well, no, I had to do it every day, multiple times a day, right? Right. When the fear would creep in, when the thoughts and the anxieties and the worries would creep in, I had to catch them, take them captive, right? Stop in that moment and say, I'm not going to be afraid. God, Mm -hmm. I'm giving you my fear. I trust you. Right. Right. I trust you with my life, with my health, with my future, with my wife. With all of it, I'm just trusting you and I'm not gonna live in fear.
2: Right.
1: So, uh, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Mm. He's the Prince of Peace. Peace is the absence of worry. It's the absence of fear. And there's a lot of wisdom, so much wisdom in the Bible, but for someone who doesn't know where to start, just start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Just Mm. read the four gospels and get to know Jesus. That's really the most. Those are most the four most important books, right? Right. Get to know Jesus and listen to his teaching, and then put it to use in your life. And uh, one of the things that Jesus said is, "Do not worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own." So Jesus Christ gives good advice. (laughs) You should take it. Yeah. Don't worry about tomorrow. And worry is a bad habit. Right? right? It is a mental habit, just like being critical or judgmental, right, or prejudice. These are mental habits that can be broken, and, but you have to catch yourself in the middle of it, in the mm-hmm. middle of those thoughts, and interrupt them. Right. you got to interrupt the pattern and then choose to think differently. Mm-hmm. And so Paul said, cast your cares on him because he loves you. And casting your cares on him, God, is basically putting them down right your cares are your worries and fears and anxieties and you identify them and you just lay them down you say okay i'm laying my fear down i'm laying down my worry just lay it at the feet of jesus and say it's it's all yours
0: right i have a tendency to always picture a huge white cross like you see on that 40 freeway in outside of california and and i always picture shutting my eyes and just bunching them up and putting them at the foot of the cross just Yeah, I have to mentally have a visual. And my husband and I, since we've been going through this, it ends up like one of us is feeling, luckily, we're both not feeling low at the same time, usually. But if he's, okay, cast all your cares, tomorrow has enough problems of its own. And as you go through different test anxiety, I'll call it, the PET scans, CTs and stuff, you get built up, God builds you up, and then you get the diagnosis. And then you're already locked in where you're really... Just diving in. And then, as far as your faith, we will get to the nudge. (laughs) But as far as your, since then, it's quite a few years. And so, have there, what have you been pretty solid as far as your faith? Or did you also go through like, did you have times where you were sort of shaky again? Or have you felt like pretty solid?
1: Well, doubt's always going to creep in. Right, doubts, fear, worry, doubts—it's always going to creep in, and you have to fight it. You have to not let it take hold. Mm-hmm. And so, I would meditate on Scripture, and I would just obediently cast my cares on God, give Him my worries and fears, and I would meditate on Scripture and and just say, "Thank you that you work all things for my good, that you supply all of my needs, and promise to never leave me or forsake me." And so. I got better at it, yeah. I started out stumbling around, trying to exercise my faith, and I just got better and it got my faith got stronger and and then, in that process, I also saw God working just in my life, bringing the right people and the right information into my life at the perfect time when I needed it and I had stepped out in faith into the unknown because I refused chemotherapy after surgery, and so I was really, really alone mm-hmm. I didn't have. Guidance. I didn't have a plan. And when you're in that sort of wilderness, like the Israelites, when you're in the wilderness, you really become extremely hyper aware and hyper attentive Mm -hmm. to everything that's happening around you because you're looking for signals and signs and direction. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I got the signs. You know, it's like the analogy I like to use is like whenever you go hiking, if you've ever been hiking somewhere, New. There's always a point during the hike where you're like, are we lost? (laughs) And, but you're on a trail. So you keep going and eventually you see a little marker or a signpost like, okay, good. No, this is the way. Right. Yeah. And so I continually would get those mile markers, right, or trail markers in my healing journey those first few years that were so intense and scary that would just remind me I'm on the right path. Right. And I wasn't getting them every day, Mm-mm. right? So on the day-to-day basis, it was I was really having to exercise my faith and choose to believe and not worry and press on mm-hmm. and be diligent and focused. But just periodically, these people or information would just pop up right when I needed it.
0: Well, to use your analogy, I feel like you are a good mile marker <laughs> for our walk through all this because in the six weeks, I won't get into the details, but in the six weeks, After he was diagnosed, of course, you go down the just research studies, whether they're here, they're there. I mean, hours, I was sort of figuring out, I think I was doing probably about 20 to 30 hours of research because I'm self-employed. So I was doing probably about 20 or 30 hours of research. And I had already been following you for years and other people that were in the cancer realm for years because of my mom having cancer and I had had benign tumors removed. and so. I always had an interest, and I've always been a researcher, so I was doing probably 20, 30 hours a week for quite a few weeks after diagnosis. But between diagnosis and surgery, the only things we were doing were things that you recommend. And the tumor shrunk in half. You don't know that, but it's fantastic. Half, yeah, in six weeks it. in six weeks. And people go, "Well, was it God?" Or was it this, or was it that? Because we did the intermittent fasting. We did, he went pretty much vegan. And I've been doing it with him. And I do the same things he does. So, and then, except for some, of course, different supplements or shots or some now. But as far as the stuff in the different smoothies and the green and the juice, all this stuff, stuff, right? And people will say- Healthy stuff. Yeah, healthy stuff. And I have to remember one thing to tell you after this, but it's really interesting because people will say to me, well, do you think it was God or do you think it was the nutrition? Do you think it was the prayers? Do you think it was this SET? Do you feel like it was the omelet? <laughs> like, what do you think it was? And I said, okay, we're doing a lot of different things. We're covering it all in prayer. It's still God. My daughter, I love what she said to me the other day. I said something about something we were doing and I said something like, oh, I really want, I think I was trying to explain to her, understand what it was we were doing. And she's she's an adult. And I loved her response. She said, mom, I'm not trusting, I'm not trusting doctors and medicines and everything. She goes, I'm trusting God to heal dad. And I thought, what a perfect response because in all of it, but our bodies are a temple of the Lord's and we're supposed to make the best decisions we know how to make along the way. My husband likes to joke, yeah, and quality of life, right? So you know, so but yeah, it shrunk from two inches to one inch. And we have CT, MRI, colonoscopy, all that stuff to prove that it was five centimeters. And it went down to 2.4 at the time of if we had known, we could have probably said, okay, hold off on the surgery and give it a few more weeks and let it go away. But and I also do like what Dr. Keneally, my husband's doctor, and your, I would say your friend, your colleague she likes to say is when she first meets with somebody, she says, what have you done since your diagnosis? And they start going into all these things they've done, like we did. And she sort of smiled. And she goes, she always, she says, she always finds it, I think she was was fascinating that people, as soon as they're diagnosed, even before they see the doctor, they know what they should have been doing or could have been doing to be healthier, but they don't do it until the diagnosis. But people, she's never has anybody say, oh, I haven't been doing anything different.
1: Yeah, everyone instinctively knows there's things in their life that need to improve. And what you said, you're rebuilding your temple, right? Mm-hmm. He's rebuilding his temple. Your husband was, I was rebuilding my temple. When the Israelites went back to to rebuild Jerusalem, they did it at God's direction, mm. right? It wasn't just rebuilt by God with the snap of his finger, uh, right? Yeah. He led them and instructed them and directed them to do it, and they did it, right? Huh. And so yeah it was a god thing for sure because he gave them the wisdom and the direction and the all the resources to do it and the vision to do it but they did the work right and so it's the same with me and i love what so glad you brought that up because people are reductionist and they want to just reduce it down to like was it this miracle amazon herb that you took (laughs) I, I And mean, like the answer is like, did, was it the herbs? Was it the juice? Is it the food? Was it prayer? Was it what? It's like, yes, it was all of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. All of it. It was all helpful. And maybe some of it wasn't helpful. Who knows? Yeah. But the point is like, yeah, you took a, you're taking a, your husband and I took a comprehensive approach to radical life change, right? To change every aspect of my life and find the things that may be contributing to disease. Mm -hmm. Identify those things and replace them with things that contribute to health. Mm -hmm. It starts with.
0: Oh, sorry,
1: go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it starts with the diet for sure. Eating a raw food diet, tons of fruits and vegetables, overdosing on nutrition, putting more vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, and phytonutrients in your body than it's ever had before, and letting it use what it needs to repair, regenerate, and detoxify and heal. That's where it starts. Mm-hmm. But then from there, you build on it and you start exercising and you start thinking about looking at stress in your life and toxic relationships and figuring out how to resolve those. Mm-hmm. And forgiveness is a huge part of the process because most of us, like I said earlier, most people are engaged in some form of self-medication, mm-hmm. right? Because life is stressful, even if you're in a rich country, right? Right. You have different types of stress, but you have stress. You've got work stress, you got money stress, you got relationship stress, you've got stress from guilt and shame, things, mistakes that you've made, things in your past. You've got stress from bitterness and unforgiveness that you're holding on to from people in your past who've hurt you. And so you got all this. We tend to compartmentalize our problems.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the thing is they all have one thing in common. They're all your problems. And so it's like you can have a hundred different rocks that you own, that are collectibles, if you put them all in one bag on your back, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, And so all that stress from all those different things, even though you've compartmentalized them, they're all weighing on your mind and your soul and your spirit. And then what that drives people to do is self-medicate. And so they do it through food, they do it through drugs and alcohol, they do it through sex, gambling, being a shopaholic, being a workaholic and on and on, right? So all of those, the most destructive lifestyle behaviors really are all rooted in self-medicating stress. So you got to figure out why, what are you unhappy about? What are you upset Mm -hmm. about? What are you stressed about? And if you're running from God, that's- That's a huge- That's going to be a source of stress. Huge.
0: And also if you're not like the same way people like to compartmentalize what it is, what the exact thing is, what is the one thing that will help you, the same thing they're saying also to us as far as well what do you think caused it and i'm like well stress from retiring a year and a half ago where pretty much ready for retirement but like that's a whole life change and the stress that comes with that was it inhaling jet fuel for for years as an aircraft mechanic was it oh the diet soda that's a hard thing to break there's always a multitude of causes and a multitude of things that will help yeah so Yeah,
1: and you went through that process,
0: and not every single person, obviously, because we are finite beings. And God, there is a like in Leviticus or in Ecclesiastes, time to live and a time to die. And we do know that God takes you in your time. But I also like to tell people, God knows the day and the hour. So there's nothing like, oh, I didn't take that vitamin today, so now that means I'm gonna pass next week. It's just well, it's
1: that's it's an interesting thing to think about, and I've spent a, a fair bit of time thinking about this too. Is there's sort of two There's two competing schools of thought. There's the sort of fatalistic idea, which is that you have an appointed time to die and there's nothing you can do to change that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And then there's the other view, which is the free will sort of idea, which is that right. your choices produce results in your life. And God has given us, even though he knows the choices we're gonna make, right? He has given us the free will to make good or bad choices. And bad choices will accelerate your demise, right? They you will. know what? I mean, That's
0: interesting. It's almost... Yeah. Drinking
1: and smoking and robbing banks and you know what I'm saying? Going on a killing spree. You're probably not going to live to a ripe old age.
0: Right. And it's interesting because it goes back to the whole kind of the inner conflict of our faith. It's like you've got the, the sovereignty of God and then you've got the free will and where do they meet? And it's the, the age old discussion, right? It's, yeah. And it comes to health too on all these aspects of our life.
1: It does. And so I find myself trying to combat that overly fatalistic mentality, which is like, well, I'm going to die sometime. Oh, yeah. Oh, Well, yeah, you are, but you're probably going to not enjoy suffering from chronic disease right. and dying in middle age right? as opposed to dying in old age. And your choices can make all the difference. Yeah, sure, that person could get hit by a car and maybe all that healthy eating was, for, was it totally for nothing. <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> but it but, goes back to that temple. I want, a healthy, yeah. I want a healthy temple when I get hit by that car. <laughs> right, but
1: I, I believe in planning for the future. Oh, yeah. And I think it's wise to be diligent and responsible and take mm-hmm. care of yourself in a way and sow seeds of health, right? right? So you can reap a harvest of health in the future, as opposed to sowing seeds of disease and reaping a harvest of disease in the future, which is what most people do.
0: Mm-hmm. Most
1: people reap a harvest of disease yep. in middle age, Yeah. in the U.S.
0: They're old middle age. They they have the body of a 100-year-old when they're only 50. Right, and now 50s I've,
1: and 60s.
0: I've been hearing that there's been a lot more... Oh, I think it was Dr. Goldner who said She's seen younger and younger and younger patients for autoimmune, like down to like, I think she said like nine or 10, 12, something like that. There's so many younger kids that are dealing with stuff. And yeah, oh my goodness. There are
1: causes, right? These are not arbitrary things. Yeah. There are causes to autoimmune and cancers and heart disease and diabetes. And most of the causes are known. Mm -hmm. And diet and lifestyle are the major factors. Of course, environmental pollutants are a big one too. But most of these things are things that we can control and limit our risk. Mm -hmm. If you're proactive, if you actually make good choices each day about what you put in your body, what you put on your body, the way you live your life, right? What you expose yourself to. And so, yeah, my message is one of personal empowerment Mm -hmm. that, hey, you're not just a victim of fate. You're not just pre-programmed to die Mm -hmm. at some age and doesn't matter what you do we're given free will and we can sow seeds of health or disease. And hey, let's sow some seeds of health mm-hmm. and plan on reaping a harvest of health. And right. so, because nobody wakes up on the operating table for cancer or heart disease thinking, oh, I'm so glad I didn't take care of myself.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you I know, know. And like,
1: yeah, they all wake up with regret. Like, oh, man, I wish I had, I knew they've been telling me for 20 years cigarettes cause cancer. Why didn't I quit?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know what exactly. I'm saying?
1: And so so anyway, it's good news, right? The good news is is that you and that's what Beat Cancer Daily. Both of my books are about this, but Beat Cancer Daily is a daily devotional and it's I love it. It's really just re-
0: I keep giving my copies away. I was actually gonna buy like a case. <laughs> I want to make a quick U-turn to sort of circle back because we sort of which I knew probably would happen with you because. There's so many different facets of you and your message and and who you are. I mean, I could probably talk to you all day. But when we are talking, for people who don't know, as far as the nudge story, take us back to when you first got diagnosed and the nudge you got to do things differently. Because what's interesting is, for those of you who don't know, since 2010, Chris has been having... But he's been very open with his story. I don't, I would love to know how many times you've shared your story about your nudge from God to do things differently. But I'll just like I would share. love to
1: know that answer as well.
0: <laughs> if you only had a dollar for each time, right? Oh I, yeah, I don't know. Oh it's, man, it's, it's, and that's why I you know, told you eleven.
1: Well, it's been seventeen years since the diagnosis, and eleven years since going public with yeah. the website and a blog and. The YouTube channel and all that yeah. stuff. So yeah, it's just, it's incalculable at this point. But, yeah. and I did all that. Thing. I wouldn't have to tell the story over and over again, right? That's the <laughs> irony. So I thought, oh, if I just put it on a website. <laughs> and then there's all the people time. like me. <laughs> but, yeah. But the nudge, you know, there was a pivotal moment in my cancer journey, which was when I got home after surgery and I was recovering and I was facing six to nine months of chemotherapy and I did not have peace about it. And I didn't know what else to do. And my wife and I had prayed, and I just said, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. Right? I'm desperate. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Uh, this doesn't feel right. Help. Right? Just a cry of desperation. And so, two days after that, I got a book that was written by a man who had healed his colon cancer without surgery, and he did it with a raw food diet and juicing. And that was 30 years ago. So, it was 30 years before my diagnosis, right? So now it's been like 50 years. But anyway, that was George Malkmus, And yeah, I started reading his book. It was just, I knew it was an answer to prayer. It was a massive transformative moment in my life where I had this just of such a shot in the arm of faith and hope that I could change my life and I had the power to influence my future. Because at that point, I was basically in a position of powerlessness, which is what most doctors do to cancer patients. They just say, oh, there's nothing you did, and it's probably genetic or it may be bad luck. And what that does is that's telling the patient that because there's nothing they did to contribute to the disease, that there's nothing they can do to help themselves except for show up for treatment. And they're just a powerless victim, right? Mm -hmm. We're so sorry. We know how hard this is for you, but we're going to do the best we can. And We'll even have some donuts and Diet Coke and stuff for you while you're getting your chemo.
0: Or a sloppy Joe after you wake up from surgery.
1: Yeah. All the treats, little sweet treats and comfy chairs, and we're just going to love on you. Anyway, so that they're just sort of reduced to this little helpless, pathetic victim of disease. And the patient goes home with no, just with nothing. They just go home with nothing. They're just in a state of fear and hopelessness. Mm -hmm. So I kind of busted out of that when I realized I I just needed one story, right? I need just one person to tell me it was possible. And that's where it started. And so overnight, I converted to a raw food diet, bought a juicer. I mean, and I was on my way. It was just like that. And then I found more people who were experts in this, in healing cancer and people who had healed with nutrition. And I realized, oh, there's a huge world of natural health and holistic healing out there that. I need to learn about. Mm
0: -hmm. And this was right after surgery.
1: Yeah, this was January two thousand four. Okay. And so that was that wasn't just a nudge; that was an answer to prayer. Mm -hmm. I guess you could say the nudge was that feeling of uncertainty or lack of peace that I maybe I shouldn't just follow the herd. And then from there, kind of like I talked about earlier, once I decided to not do chemo, I stepped out in faith into the unknown. Mm-hmm. that's really what it is. It's you're stepping out of the boat, mm-hmm. like Peter onto the waves. And there's no one, you have no one to rely on and you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. Cause there's, you just don't have, a, you don't have a plan. You don't have a net. You don't have a life preserver, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how it felt. Now, did you feel peace about the, dis? well, were there yes. two
0: different things? Like there is pretty much an answer to prayer because you came across that book and just really made you feel like peaceful thinking about doing things that way. And then was there another kind of God moment where like where you were gonna do chemo and then you didn't, and then that?
1: Well, whenever you have a desperate need and God answers it, it you just it's such a powerful moment in your life that is undeniable. And so I had that, Mm -hmm. but I also had a lot of opposition from family members who thought I was making a huge mistake. They just didn't see it. They didn't know they weren't inside my body. Yeah. (laughs) And they thought they were telling you got to do what the doctor says. You got to do chemo, trying to talk me out of doing anything holistic or alternative. And that added a new dimension of complication and stress Mm -hmm. because I was feeling so, so excited and I was at peace and I knew, okay, this is what I got to do to help myself. So yeah, we did go see an oncologist and he treated us badly. And that was revelatory because it gave my wife an insiders perspective on the way the industry you know, works and how patients are treated by a lot of doctors, not all, mm-hmm. but by, we'll just say some. And so that kind of helped her start to turn toward the holistic approach because Mm -hmm. she was not into it at Mm -hmm. first.
0: Well, that was 20, almost 20 years ago, right? Or 20, 17, 17. you said. So 17 years ago, like a friend of mine pointed out, that was before any, I mean, you think about how much the information has grown with integrative medicine in the last 17 years, you were doing this when nobody went, I mean, I don't 17 years ago, everybody did chemo. You never heard people say, oh, I did something else, or I'm going to do this in addition, or I'm going to go try this way first, or you'd never hear that. It was like you always did. So when you were going through this, isn't that about the same time that everybody did it? So when you were saying no, did they accept the answer, not your family, because I know they had a harder time, but did the medical community accept that answer?
1: No, the oncologist I saw that I mean, I didn't even tell him I wasn't doing it, but I had asked him about the raw food diet and asked him if there were alternative therapies available. And he said, if you don't do chemo, you're insane. Oh, wow. So he sensed that I was thinking, he could tell I was looking at other, looking for other options and he did everything in his power to convince me to do chemo. And I almost did, I almost did. But on the day I was supposed to go get a port put in, I woke up that morning and just said, I'm not going, I'm not doing it. I don't have peace about it. And I want to do everything in my power to build my body up. I don't want to tear it down. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was already sick and weak and vulnerable and I needed to rebuild. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, so anyway, so that was, again, the very, the first few months were very difficult because I had so much pressure and I didn't know anything and I was just stumbling around in the dark, right? But I was taking what I call inspired imperfect action.
0: It's a good way to word it.
1: Massive action, right? I was taking massive action. It was inspired. It was not perfect, <laughs> right? But it was. But I was on my way, right? I was on my way, and so as I continued, and that's the thing. When you decide to change your life, at first it's hard because you don't know what you're doing and th- you're confused, and but then you kind of get in the groove and you figure things out, and it gets easier, and you. Develop a daily routine Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself, and you start changing the way you think and you start forgiving people who've hurt you. And if you don't do that, forget about it. You probably won't get well. Mm -hmm. If you hold on to bitterness and anger and resentment, it's so toxic. Those emotions are so absolutely toxic and destructive. They will take you out. Mm -hmm. They produce so much stress, physical stress in the body. They manifest stress in the body. Your body is pumping adrenaline and cortisol when you're stressed and those hormones suppress your immune system and promote inflammation Mm -hmm. and interfere with digestion and nutrient absorption. They interfere with your brain function. You don't even think clearly and rationally. You're operating in this sort of state of reactive fear and panic. Just look at 2020. Mm -hmm. Look at how all, all these people behaved in 2020. This is how people behave when they're in a state of fear.
2: Yeah.
1: It's completely, completely irrational. Mm-hmm. right? It's irrational fear-based behavior. Mm-hmm. And when you're calm and collected and rational and at peace, you operate in a very different way. Yeah. In life. And
0: it's just like when I used to be a court reporter years ago, before they had a whole bunch of studies out, I don't know how many years ago this was, like 30 years ago. can't remember how many years ago. But when I was court reporting, I used to take sometimes depositions of people who were going out on stress, stress Stress claims against businesses. They were real super stressed and they'd pile on work or whatever. And they had a claim against a company and they were suing for workers' comp. And these people were manifesting so many physical maladies because of the mental. And I was a young woman at the time, maybe it was closer to 40 years ago. But when I was first taking depositions, I remember being just struck by how much mental stuff they were going under. But then when they would start listing all the physical complaints they had to the attorney, I remember being so blown away because back then we didn't really know about all the connection, but I was seeing firsthand. And now you think of all these last years, every single study is talking about how much the gut and how much Even Parkinson's, now they're saying a lot has to do with the gut and it going up the central nervous system to the brain. So there's every time you turn around, there's new stuff about the brain and the emotional, like you said.
1: Yeah. And to close the loop on something you said a minute ago. You're right. I didn't have any resources. I had books and cassette tapes and some <laughs> VHS tapes. Um, yeah, I'm not kidding. I probably should
0: have a little thing in the details for younger listeners like, what is a yeah. cassette tape? You know,
1: what's a VHS tape? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have the internet existed, but most people don't remember that in 2004, there was no YouTube, right? There was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, and there were basically Videos online were like 10 seconds long. I mean, they just didn't have the bandwidth. So there was no helpful information online that I found. Mm -hmm. Every single piece of information that I discovered and used and implemented and learned from was either from mostly books, these books behind me, a lot of these books behind me. And yeah, and some audio cassettes and some VHS tapes that people found or passed on to me or sent me or whatever. And my mom had had a lot of these resources, which was another miracle that she had collected all of these books on health and healing for decades.
0: Yeah. Thank goodness for your mom.
1: Yeah. She was, that was just God working in my life. My mom had had just never been sick, never had cancer, but it just was a voracious reader and researcher and just loved to learn and was constantly just buying these health and wellness books from the health food store. And so, yeah, just stacks and stacks and stacks of books. I'm that- cracking
0: up because I have three adult children. And because of all the stuff I learned from you or like Dr. Goldner or Dr. Keneally, I'm always telling them something new I learned. They'll come over to the house like, oh, let me do an iodine patch test on you. Let me see how you're iodine And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, there's this baking soda thing for your stomach, your stomach to see if it's working. I mean, I'm laughing because i I hope they never have to use their mom in a serious way, like you used your mom, but I'm glad you had her.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, it was just incredibly miraculous and providential, you know, that she had stored up all this information. And it was clearly for me. Yeah. And it was just there when I needed it and provided so much encouragement to me and actionable information. So that's why I started chrisbeatcancer.com, because the internet wasn't very helpful for people with cancer that were trying to learn how to heal it. Like yeah, there's lots of information on chemo, but there was no information on raw foods and juicing and overdosing on nutrition, what I like to call, and taking a holistic approach. So, that was pretty limited and there were so I just realized I've just got this remarkable story. I need to share it. I know it'll be encouraging to some folks out there and so I started started sharing my story and making videos and talking about all this stuff and then it just there was an obvious need for it and that's how my whatever popularity i grew so quickly and although i've been doing it for a decade now but it still it grew relatively quickly it just did in the first few years because no one else was really doing what i was doing Mm-mm. in an organized yeah. way right and people were just finding me every day on google and wherever